morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Okay. Um, you may notice I have a bit of an accent. Okay. I need my uh, my wife to keep me accountable. If I start talking too quickly, um, she'll just like wave me down, and I'll try and calm it down a little bit. Um, and for my friends, if anybody's watching from back home, I apologize if I sound different. I'm trying to speak in a way that people can understand. Um, so don't don't. Kill me. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so last week um, Ben started our new study on the word redeemer, and he gave us a bit of bad news. Um, he looked at the first three chapters in the book of Genesis and looked at the fall, um, which sort of gave us the reason as to why we need a redeemer. Um, he looked at the fact that we are broken and we are born sinful, and that we are uh, just broken and flawed people. It was very much a tie-in of what we were learning from the Psalms at the same time. Um, and thankfully this week he gave me the good news to talk about, so I get a bit of an easier one. Last time I preached it was all about death, so this one's a little bit more fun for me to preach on. Um, but yeah, so we're looking at the good news, and some of you might have heard the word the gospel. So the, the literal translation of the gospel is that it is good news. Um, so that is what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I would love it if you could open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be starting at verse 1. So again, last week we, we read at Genesis, and this week we're jumping way farther forward, all the way out to uh, the book of Corinthians. Um, so yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're reading verses 1 through 11. And it says this. Now I would, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. Um, I pray that you help me um, to, to articulate this message today uh, effectively, and I pray that you remove all of my words and that you speak through me um, and, and just be, be with all of us as, as we dive into this today. Amen. So yes, the bad news last week was that we, we are in desperate need of a redeemer. Um, and we, again, we looked at Genesis and we're jumping way forward. And a lot has happened in between Genesis and 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, in that I'm going to try and recap uh, the Old Testament in the next 10 minutes. So <laughs> bear with me, we'll see how it goes. But there's about 39 books in the Old Testament. And we're going to sort of go through and see what led from the fall in Genesis to our, our Savior, Jesus, in the New Testament. Um, and the Bible is an amazing book. Uh, it really is. I mean, sometimes we see it as a little bit boring, but it is an absolutely incredible book. I'm going to show a bit of image on the screen, um, hopefully. There it is. Uh, so if you haven't seen this before, the, the bottom line of this, oh, on th those online, sorry, you're going to have to like, yeah, look at the screen. But um, the bottom line of this is like the, the story of the Bible, like the books of the Bible, 
And all of those lines are cross-references from different parts of the Bible to the other. Um, just the amount of depth and, and knowledge that you can get from that book is just amazing. Um, and you can spend your entire life reading this book every single day, and you won't scratch the surface of what God is able to teach you. And people have done that, and we're still going thousands of years later trying to figure out what it all means. Um, but the main theme of this book, from cover to cover, is that God is good and that God is awesome, and God is God. That's the main theme of the book, cover to cover, um, the number one theme. But the amazing thing about this book is that there are also there are multiple themes to this book. Um, the primary theme being God is good and God is God, but also from cover to cover we see that this is like a, a walkthrough story of God's rescue plan for his people. From the very start where we fell, at the very beginning, right the way through to the end, over and over and over again we see how God rescues his people through many different ways. Um, and through the Old Testament, um, we see the fall, and we see God using humans to, to save his people in different circumstances. So back at the start of Genesis, we have the fall um, in, in Genesis 3. And from then onwards, realistically, the book of Genesis is just a spiral downwards out of control. People are just falling apart. Nobody is really worshiping God anymore. Nobody cares. And we get to a point where there's literally one family left, and it's um, Noah and his family. And God decides to wipe out the entire people of the planet with a flood. And he saves these one people. Um, even in that moment, whenever he saves Noah, Noah messes up afterwards. And you know, the earth repopulates and things spiral downwards out of control. And we go through, you know, we get to Abraham and we get to, to um, uh, like uh, all these different characters and, and we get down to a guy called um, Joshua or Joseph, we'll go with Joseph. So Joseph, um, uh, have you ever seen the movie of like Joseph and the multicolored coat or whatever the name of the movie is? Um, it's a great movie, fantastic, Prince of Egypt as well, all those movies, love them. But uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and he was sold, and, uh, sold into Egypt. And at this point we're kind of thinking, look, how far have God's people fallen? This spiral has just gone out of control. But God has a different plan. So God rescues his people, he, he uses Joseph to save um, all of God's people and bring them into Egypt in the middle of a famine. So God works through a human to save his people. And then a lot of time passes and we think, that's great, well, they're now in Egypt, everything's going well. But, you know, Joseph's long dead and another Pharaoh comes along who doesn't remember how good Joseph was and ends up enslaving all of the Israelites. And then we get to the story of Moses. And this is why Moses has to rescue the people out of Egypt is because they're so, they're enslaved and they're being treated badly. So Moses, God works through Moses and rescues the people out of Egypt. And we get to that story where God parts the Red Sea. You know, the, the ocean splits and they're able to walk through and get to the other side. And it's an amazing story of God rescuing their people from one uh, terrible situation to another. And you know, God then meets with, with Moses and he, he gives him the law, like the Ten Commandments that we have in the Bible uh, and many, many other laws. And when he comes back, they've built an idol to something else. And again, it's a spiral out of control. Um, God's people, although they've been rescued multiple times, they continue to disobey and fall away. Um, and then, you know, they, they get to the point where they're supposed to enter this promised land and, and because they're so disobedient, God says, no, this generation, you're not going to enter the promised land. That's the next generation's rule. So they all die out. Moses dies, and they come to new, another guy called Joshua. And Joshua leads the people into the promised land, and they, God rescues and the people through Joshua. He's, he gets them into the promised land through the Jordan River where he also does another miracle, just like the Red Sea where he parts the river and they're able to get through. 
and it's an amazing story, and then they're going around all of, uh, all of the promised land and, and trying to take ownership of this land that God has promised them, and Joshua leads them in that. And there's some amazing stories in there um, of, of, um, of battles and, and victories and all of that kind of stuff, um, but eventually Joshua dies, and, and the people, again, spiral out of control and just fall away. So God appoints the judges. Okay, we get to the judges in this other section of, it's a very weird book, but it's these like amazing heroes um, of old. Um, and the, the judges are, don't think of like those sort of old men with the curly wig things that they wear with a, is it a gaggle? Is that what that thing's called? That's not what the, these judges are. Okay, they are mighty warriors. And you kind of think, oh, these are cool stories. You've got Samson, the super strong guy and all of this kind of stuff. But if you really look at the stories, these are some really messed up people. And again, spiral out of control and fall away. And at the end of the book of Judges, it just ends by saying, and all the people in Israel at the time uh, did whatever they thought was best. That's where they got to. That's, I mean, I, I think we can kind of relate in our, in our culture today, but people were living in a way that they just did whatever they thought was right. They no longer cared what God said was right or wrong. They lived their own way and they spiraled out of control. And we get to the last judge, a guy called Samuel. Uh, and and the, the, the books of Samuel talk about uh, is the lead into the era of the kings. And, and you might think, oh, well, that's cool, you know, we've got some kings, but God never planned for these people to have a king because God was their king. In fact, that phrase that we get all the time of uh, don't conform to the patterns of this world, that comes from the, the time whenever the people were living in, um, in Canaan and they, God was saying, don't be like these people. You have to be different. You have to be set apart. You have to look differently from them. And that's why he didn't give them a king. He says, everybody else has a king. You don't need one. But all of the elders are like, no, we want a king. We want a king. So God gives them a king. And it's a disaster. <laughs> you know, so they get Saul. And it starts out with some promise. You think Saul doesn't sound too bad. And it spirals out of control. And it, he, he, his story ends in disgrace. And you get to the next king, uh, David. A man after God's own heart. Which, if there was ever a compliment to be given, uh, it would be to be called a man after God's own heart. And David is a great, great king. Uh, up until the point that he has an affair with um, another man's wife, murders that man to take her as his own. Not a good story. And again, it ends in demise. Things spiral out of control. We get into the book of Kings. We're going on through, I'm trying to par through this whole book, but we're getting to the book of Kings and there are 40 kings uh, named in the book of Kings, eight of whom are considered good. Okay, that's, this is how far we've gotten in that there are other gods being worshipped. This doesn't look like God's people anymore. People have spiraled out of control and God continues to rescue them. And it gets to the point where he hands them over to their enemies and he's like, enough of this. And they have an exile in Babylon. Babylon is like the big enemies of uh, the, 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 the Jews at that time. So they're, they're exiled and, and we... we the whole system kind of changes. And this is when we enter the realm of the prophets, starting you know, with the likes of Daniel and all the prophets in the rest of the Old Testament. And the role of the prophets is to point towards the true king and to tell people to repent from what they've, what they've, the way they've been living and to turn away from their false god worship and to remember that there is one true God and his name is Yahweh, and that is the God that we worship. Uh, and that's their role. They, the prophets, prophetically speak what God is telling them to speak to their people. And despite this, people continue to spiral out of control. The prophets weren't actually that popular because they kept saying things that nobody wanted to hear. Um, and, and it was their role to, to point towards a savior in the future who was going to be better than all of the other people who have saved them in the past. Uh, and we get down to um, the book um, of Malachi. 
and, and, and that's the last of the prophets that we know of, and then there's just silence for 400 years. 400 years where God doesn't say anything. There's no more books of the Bible, there's no more things that we have that says that God rescued his people this way or that way. It's just silence. 400 years after that, there's this child was born in a, in a, in a stable, in a little thing for animals, and he ends up being the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, really humble beginning with a glorious end. And that's, that's kind of the story of the Old Testament. It's just over and over and over again, God's people fall away and disobey and, and spiral out of control. And God sends somebody like Moses or like Joshua or like the kings or like Samuel and the, and the, and the judges to try and bring them back and bring them back to, to him. And every time, humans just aren't enough. It just doesn't work. Humans, if we're, I mean, we've said this multiple times over the past couple of months, but if we're responsible for our own salvation, there's no hope. We can't do it. There's thousands of years of evidence that this does not work. Also, the Bible isn't, this isn't like a, a fantasy storybook. This is as real history as reading a book about World War II or even current events. This, when we read about David and, and him establishing Jerusalem, this isn't like, oh, that's a cool story. No, this is actually how the country and the area of Jerusalem was formed. This is a history book, um, and it's all real. This is exactly what happened, and we have so much proof that if humans are left to their own devices, it's a disaster, and it falls apart. So eventually we get to the point where God's like, okay, if these people need to be saved, if these people are truly going to be rescued from themselves and from their sin, from the fall that we talked about last week, I have to do it myself. And a lot of people kind of ask the question, well, why didn't God just click his fingers and make everything better? And I, I sometimes wrestle with that all the time. So why didn't he just make it better? Why didn't he just, you know, get rid of sin? Why didn't he just, you know, tell the devil to go away and everything would be fine? And the, the problem with that is it would technically be wrong of God to do that. And what I mean by that is that God is infinitely just. He's amazing. He's really good. He's all love and good, and that, that's 100% true, but he is just. And sin has a consequence. Um, our sin has a consequence. The sin that you and I have committed today has consequence. Um, if, I, if I stole something from somebody, and I was caught, and I was taken to a judge, there would be consequences for that. There would be a fine, there would be prison time, whatever it is, there is consequences, and that is right to do that. That is, that is the way it works. And it would be wrong of a judge to convict me of something terrible and say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. That would, that, I mean, could you imagine what would happen if, if there was a judge like that? It would, be, it would be terrible. And God is not a bad judge, he's a good judge. So whenever we are broken and flawed people, we deserve the consequence of our sin. And our, the consequence of our sin is death. Um, and that seems like heavy-handed, but God sets those standards, not us. Um, so the consequence is death, and it has to be paid. There is no other option. He can't just click his fingers and make it better. The cost has to be paid. So when Jesus came to earth, he lived that perfect life. We've heard this story over and over again. I don't know if maybe you haven't, but Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, never messed up once, never looked at somebody inappropriately, never, never desired or, or sinned in any way that was, that was wrong, and, and he followed God's law perfectly and got to the point where he fulfilled God's plan. Now, the prophets back in, in the Old Testament that I was talking about, they said so many things and so many prophecies towards to let people know how Jesus, what the Savior was going to do. 
Uh, and that was in that picture, like all of those little lines were all telling what was going to happen in the New Testament, what was going to happen when the Savior comes. And people were still shocked when it happened. Jesus came along, he lived that perfect life, and then he died. You think, that's not very godly. <laughs> that's, not, that's not very like the giant God that we've seen in the Old Testament with pillars of fire and like plagues of locusts and angels. And, no, we just get a guy who lives a perfect life and dies the worst death imaginable. And I mean, again, this isn't necessarily in the Bible. It's kind of what Ben was talking about last week. But this is my hypothesis is that if there was any time for Jesus to come to earth, the time, the short period of time when they practice crucifixion, the worst death imaginable doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. He experienced suffering more than any of us will ever have to experience, ever. I, I was really tempted to show a, a clip from The Passion of the Christ and the clip of the crucifixion. Um, but with it being a more family service, it just, it was, it, it's heart-wrenching. I don't know if you've seen that clip, but if you haven't, I really encourage you to go watch it because it will break your heart. I can't watch it without crying. And the only other book that, or only other movie that does that to me is Treasure Planet. So, um, so I mean, it's, it's, ser it's seriously good, okay? Like, it's, it is heart-wrenching. You're watching a guy getting flesh ripped off of his skin and stabbed and, and hung on a cross and nailed, and he's, he's just dead, like he's killed brutally and horribly. And you might ask, ask, why did he have to die? Well, he died for the cost of all of us. All of us have, have a, 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 a tally racked up of all of our sins that we have to pay for. We all have sins that need to be paid for, whether it's us here in the future of what Jesus did or the people in the past in the Old Testament. All of them, all of that sin had a price to be paid. And Jesus took that payment and paid it for us which is an amazing, an amazing thing for him to do because he did not have to do that. He did not have to do that whatsoever. There was no obligation on him to save us. He tried <laughs> over and over and over again. There was no obligation for him to save us, but he did. That's just how loving he is. Um, so God is love and he is infinitely just and our sin had a price to be paid. Despite the fact that even today we continue to spiral out of control, we continue to fall away from God, he is so faithful to us. And his sacrifice back then uh, lasts and, and atones for everything that we do. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the good news is that we don't need to worry about that cost anymore. But Jesus didn't end there. When we read in, in 1 Corinthians, it said that he rose again three days later. That might seem kind of just cool, right? But whenever Jesus died, he paid the price for sin but we still have a problem with death, right? We still have a problem in that we all die. That's just how the world works now because of the fall. Like, what are we gonna do about death? But when Jesus rose again, he beat death. Last time I preached, I preached on Psalm 90 and it was all about death. And I was trying to encourage you like, look, this is not the end. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, if you follow Jesus, you don't need to worry about death anymore. This short life that we have on earth is so tiny compared to eternity that we're gonna spend in perfection. So when Jesus died for our sins, he paid the price that we owed, that you owed, that I owed. And whenever he rose again, he beat death and he said, you don't need to worry about death anymore. Uh, it, is, it is defeated. Now I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna read 1 Corinthians again. I'm gonna read it actually in a different translation um, called the NLT. It's a bit more sort of colloquialized and, and easier to read. Um, and it says, let me rem now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you. 
if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, just as the prophets in the Old Testament told us he would. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said, just as was prophesied thousands of years before. Um, and and uh, later he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by 500 more of his followers. Uh, at one time, um, he was seen by James and then all of the apostles and last of all, Paul, who wrote, who wrote this, this book. Um, and, and the reason that's important is that we can believe that this is true. Like people might say, oh, Jesus, you know, yeah, he was, he was killed, but no, he didn't raise from the dead. Well, actually, there are scientific evidence that the tomb was found empty and people would say, oh, well, the body was stolen or something happened. But this is saying, no, there were fi over 500 people saw him alive. 500 eyewitness accounts. Again, if we're talking about like historical accuracy, 500 eyewitness accounts of something is pretty robust as far as facts go. I'm, I'm not a big history guy. I know that's Ben's rule, but like, um, if you have 500 eyewitness accounts to something, chances are pretty certain that's exactly what happened. Um, and that's what, that's what Paul is saying here is, look, Jesus died for your sins. He is the Christ that was pointed to in the Old Testament. He completed everything. Uh, he rose from the dead and people saw it. He was better than Moses. He's better than David. He's better than all of those. Moses, when Moses got the Ten Commandments and came down, he was so close and in tune with God that he glowed. He literally was like visibly different. That's how, how in tune he was with God, and it was amazing. It wasn't enough, nowhere near enough. But Jesus, on the other hand, accomplished everything. And, and salvation is, following Jesus is, is, can be hard. Um, but accepting Christ's offer that he makes us is so easy. Um, we're we're going to dive in next week a little bit more about, about what, how we're supposed to respond to um, the good news that Jesus died for us. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up in, in just a minute. But um, we're, we're going to be um, diving into that next week of, of our response to that. Uh, but I just want to encourage you, responding to Jesus and accepting the offer of eternal life and, and uh, just accepting the sacrifice that he made, there is nothing easier to do. There, there literally is nothing easier. The life after that can be a real challenge. Don't get me wrong. It really can. But accepting Jesus is the easiest thing you can ever do. It's just saying yes. It's just saying, look, I, okay, I'm done with my way of doing things. I'm done with living life how I want to live it. And I want to follow you because your sacrifice was more than enough. And I'm going to give this back because it's not mine. But um, that's our, our role. That's our duty is to respond to Jesus. His sacrifice was not just for the people who made it into this book. It's for us here today. It's for you. It's for me. And all we have to do is respond to it and say, okay, thank you so much for what you did. And then next week, we're going to be diving into just how that life after that looks.